Peter McCoy is uh, one of the people I met at Permaculture Voices, and I was super impressed when I met him. I went and saw him speak. I instantly had all these questions for him and ideas, and he has been so patient, and he always answers every question, and he's an amazing, amazing person that it really is about spreading um, mycology and fungi and he's about connecting people to a part of the forgotten world you know a part of the things that we knew and cultures honored and that we lost so let's get into it right now yeah well radical mycology is a project that i started with a friend um about eight maybe about nine years ago now and uh, now it's kind of evolved in to a state where in the there's kind of a core group of three people that sort of facilitate um, a number of projects that in various ways try to promote and spread for one just knowledge about fungi and mycology in general because uh, we're all passionate about it but then sort of beyond that what comes out of our approach to mycology is sort of um, trying to articulate a greater appreciation for for fungi, but also for all the ecologies that they integrate into, which is pretty much all of them. And, you know, really largely inspired in in many ways by the work of permaculturalists and a lot of famous writers and and thinkers from that movement, Um, but sort of with our own twist and, you know, just a different approach, different, slightly different language and just different way of framing things sort of through the eyes of the fungi because um, they they are so different from plants and animals, so you kind of have to think differently when you're when you're talking about them. Right, and I think permaculture is generalism, uh, and it's supposed to be a generalist kind of practice, while fungi is a niche. And even within um, mycology, there's there's niches within those kind of things. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, one of the things I always like to to try to point out too is that. Um, you know, it's like an ebb and flow and a give and take where mycology as a study, as a science is, of course, very niche, very specific, just as, um, you know, studying plants or something is relatively focused. But then just like all of ecologies, you know, everything's connected. But I think in a lot of ways, fungi exemplify that so much because they are central to so many life cycles and so many ecological processes and, and whole ecosystem functioning um, largely depends on fungi, so they really do touch onto a lot of uh, natural phenomena, but also a lot of cultural phenomena too. So I find that I find all those intersections really fascinating. Yeah, so that's it's, what we just, it's do, almost do. like it exemplifies what permaculture is saying it is. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, I, I you know I came to permaculture a little later in, in the game. I started out as a mycologist. I started studying fungi when I was a teenager and just have largely focused on that. And it's really only in the last, you know, five, six years that I got turned more and more onto permaculture. And as I learned more about it, it's just, I was kind of surprised that nobody else had really made those connections long ago. But I guess that, that just sort of speaks to the, the knowledge gap that sort of surrounded mycology for so long. And, you know, of course, in recent years, that meme has sort of picked up and a lot more people has awareness of fungi, of mycelium, of these these metaphors come to light. Uh, more and more people are making those connections, but it's definitely something that rings true for me. Pretty much every every way that I think about fungi, I talk about them. It's just the metaphors and the the sort of patterns of nature and the patterns of life are reflected in the fungi and reflected back, you know, ad infinitum. So, 
Do you feel like a lot of your job is demystifying uh, what mushrooms are and what um, what mycology is and what because I, I feel like if I told someone I was studying mushrooms in seventh grade, they would have um, instantly thought I was up to no good. Yes, uh, part of part of what I do whenever I talk about fungi with people is. Um, you know, for one, I, I say the word fungi. I don't necessarily say mushrooms because to me, mycology encompasses much more than just the mushrooms. Of course, they're very interesting and they're, they're the most tangible, visible things that we can interact with from the fungal kingdom in a sense. But the fungal kingdom is much greater than just the fleshy fungi, than, than just the mushrooms. And right. all the fungi do incredible things. And so that's how I always frame it. It's like, let's talk about the fungi. And sometimes people are like, what are fungi? And I say, well, you know, mushrooms and molds and yeast and all these um, things that are plants and animals that we see, but most of us don't really know much about. And then, yeah, definitely once in maybe 50% of the time, I get some sort of hint that it's about um, illicit activities or something. But I usually, you know, move along and just say, yeah, edible, medicinal, um, earth repair, all these things that fungi are are great to ally with and to understand and they're just fascinating biologically and ecologically and you know it's just like anything that's historically been taboo i find that the easiest approach is just kind of speak matter of fact about it and just say you know fungi are a huge part of our world we just unfortunately don't don't really recognize that most people don't know that and that's nobody's fault it's just sort of where things have been and you know part of the work that i try to do is to shift that and to kind of shift the dialogue Right, and so I wanted to help with that effort, and so when I was reading the book that you recommended to me uh, by Trad Cotter, Organic Mushroom Farming Micro-Remediation, he talks about how, like, whenever uh, someone kind of, like, jokingly is like, magic mushrooms? And he goes, all mushrooms are magic. And then he goes into a lesson from there. You know, it's like a teachable moment. And I think uh, I'm, I'm going to write a book called um, All Mushrooms Are Magic, and it's going to be going through all these different proven properties and like foods and fibers and all these different things you can do with mushrooms, um, but in a children's storybook format. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's where it needs to to really get. Um, Trad's book is great. He has a really wonderful section on teaching uh, mycology to all age groups, and I think that's really awesome wonderful section of this book the the lesson plans he lays out um, are really well thought out and I mean it's definitely something I've talked about with a lot of people and, and mycologists I know and friends that are into fungi who, who work with kids teach kids that that's really where it needs to get at is you know <clears throat> myself and people I, I work with are, are sort of on a, a newer generation if you will of mycology kind of coming out of the traditional mycology that's been um, building for the last you know hundred years but where we're at today, you know, is really just scratching the surface of what I see as a whole explosion that's just going to come as more and more people study it as, as awareness and, and general cultural knowledge and, and wisdom around the topic, you know, builds. And the children get to interact with fungi and aren't told to be afraid of them any longer and see them as magical and see them as wonderful. And, and yeah, I mean, I guess magical is a, is a good way to sum it up because the things they do, it's consistently boggles my mind. Um, you know, I'm writing a book right now, or I'm finishing it up pretty much, and I can't count the number of times in researching, writing, and putting things together and connecting dots in my head that um, 
you know, I was just blown away by the things I didn't even know. And that's, that's just scratching the surface on what's already been out there. And I just hadn't had the time to get to, let alone what's yet to be discovered. Yeah, so is it a little bit um, like uncharted territory? And it, it feels like soil and, and fungi and perhaps a few other areas in, in permaculture that are, that are these, these niches, they seem to be unexplored, which is really exciting um, for people interested in this stuff. Definitely. And I mean, you know, soil and fungi, in my mind, the two are inextricable. Um, you know, there's, there are soil dwelling fungi, there's many different forms, but, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners might be aware that there are mycorrhizal fungi that associate with plant roots and they distribute nutrients and, and help support and defend the plants, um, in intact ecosystems, intact soil webs. But there's a certain type of mycorrhizal fungi called, the our buscular mycorrhizae or the glomeromycota and they are some of the most ancient fungi and you know really long story short they pretty much built the soils of the earth um, they contributed to the earliest soil formations along with lichens which are primarily fungi and and today the the these um, glomeromycota they produce a sticky protein called glomalin that actually is basically what turns dirt into soil it gives uh, soil the tilth the porosity and structure that enables air to penetrate and water to percolate and plants' roots to penetrate um, and the worms to move and the bacteria to breathe and everything. And it's really largely due to these fungi helping build the structure of soil. And of course, there's all the other microbes and everything doing everything else in the soil universe. But um, the fungi, in my mind, you know, I'm biased. They're such central players and all of that. Right. So Paul Stamets talked about this in one of his talks. He said that at one point, and I think I watched this online. He said at one point, before dinosaurs dominated the planet, before uh, trees dominated the planet, and I think he even before grasslands, I think uh, fungi dominated the planet. So there was a time period where the what was like like what was the dominant the species was only fungi everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, there's a really wonderful book if the listeners are interested, um, called "Fungi in the," uh, I think it's "Fungi in the Origins and Emergence of Life" by the mycologist David Moore. And it's a little bit technical, but it's pretty readable. And he basically says that you know the early Earth was barren rock; it was essentially sterile rock for two billion years, and probably little microbes. Um, were able to eat little organic compounds and chemicals, but there was no, there was no life on, on the surface of there. There was the ocean, but on all the rock, there was nothing. And he proposes that, you know, two billion years or so later, something like fungi uh, basically evolved and started eating the two billion years of dead microbes that had piled up. And they were sort of the first things to, to live that sort of mimic, um, you know, higher organisms, eukaryotes. And essentially over time, they, they help bring the, the plants out of the ocean, the algae, they turned them into lichens, and they demineralized rock and helped build up mineral, uh, provided minerals, and then basically plants evolved along with the fungi, again with these arbuscular mycorrhizae. The oldest plant fossils have these mycorrhizal fungi at their roots, so every, every single plant, um, it's, its oldest common land origin, you know, is directly derived from support provided by the fungi. Um, and then even from there, you know, forget how many billion million years later but for 40 million years the largest organism on the planet was a giant 
uh, mushroom. It was probably more like a giant al- uh, lichen of some sort of sort of a, an amalgamation of plant matter and fungal tissue that was 40, roughly 35, 40 feet tall. Um, and these species called the genus Prototaxides lived on the planet for 40 million years, which is twice as long as hominids have been on the earth. It's pretty incredible. They were the largest organisms for a long time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of, of magic and wizardry, I mean, if we went back in time and you took someone's cutting board, like uh, in this Trad Cotter book, and you inoculated it, and then you scraped it off, and then you had a mycelium-infused wooden cutting board, would be antimicrobial for years. But I mean, that would look like in the 1800s, that would be witchcraft, right? You know, it's hard to say. Um, I, you know, back in the cultivation of mushrooms is actually a pretty pretty old technique. Some of the oldest documentation is roughly 2,000 years old, um, coming out of Japan. And so it had been around how much of that how much of that information moved to to Europe um, in the Middle Ages or something is kind of hard to say, but at that time there were definitely mushrooms associated with witches and that gets into the whole uh you know history of witch burning and um all that business but well i think that just as an aside there that's more about getting rid of female power because it was women that had that information in those towns and it was they wanted the catholic church to be the one who decided who was healed and who was not and you know what i mean Oh, no, I, I fully agree with you on that. Uh, many other layers as well in the suppression of just knowledge of the natural world and, you know, our relationship to it. But, um, but there is, yeah, relationships, you know, the whole idea of being afraid of fungi that we have in the West today is really not precedented in most traditional cultures around the world, most cultures around the world. Do you know where it started? Where did it start? Um, you know, I read one... It's one of these things I actually someday would like to dig into a good bit deeper because I am very curious about it. I think the only, anything close to a good summary that I've read was, I believe it was called like Mushrooms, Poisons, and Panaceas. I forget the author's name. He's a doctor, mostly focusing on the, the medicinal compounds of the mushrooms. But he kind of summarizes it in there where essentially, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that kind of out of nowhere in the 1800s, um, English newspaper editors just kind of started writing editorials and op-eds about how gross and putrid and disgusting fungi were. Um, and it sort of really built that, that there is precedent to some degree to that, you know, wow. herbalists and things for hundreds of years prior talked about fungi being sort of in between living and dead, between mineral and plant. They were, you know, they came out of the, the mist and the swamps and things. So there was these sort of already associations with the, the strange and the dark and the dead but it was really kind of exaggerated and really became a cultural meme um, in the 1800s, as I understand it. And again, for no real good reason. And then that just percolated throughout the west of the rest of Western Europe and into North America. But Eastern Europe, Asia, Eurasia, Northern Europe, um, all over Africa, good parts of uh, Central America and South America, and a lot of these cultures, and especially the traditional cultures, do not have that fear. Uh, fungi. A lot of them revere mushrooms, especially because they're such good food and medicine. I have paper 
that is growing oyster mushrooms that is like uh, my trash digester. And is it safe to eat those mushrooms? Um, well, it depends on what the how the paper was made and what's in them. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where the the cautionary note would be to not eat anything growing off of anything that is suspect, meaning that the inks or the paper products might, if they have any chance of having heavy metals in them, um, you don't. You definitely don't want to eat the mushroom because they can, uh, depending on the species, they can uptake that into their tissue and actually concentrate it in the mushrooms. So if you ate the mushroom, you'd be eating kind of, yeah, a concentrated form of say mercury or arsenic or some other nasty element. So unfortunately, no. If you know that the paper or the products are clean, um, then yeah, I'll go for it. Um, it's just it's hard to say without knowing what they're actually growing on. Right. What if it's just sterile, like white paper, or cardboard? Uh, well, cardboard. You know, it's kind of really tricky actually, because the glue in cardboard is sort of an industry secret. It's supposedly mostly uh, cornstarch based, but I've you know I've, I've looked into it because it's a it's a question that's come up for me and other people is what is in the the glue that things <laughs> are growing off of that we're eating, you know and and I haven't found the recipe, and it's hard to say, and so that does put a little bit of caution uh, into me. Although, to be transparent, I do eat mushrooms that I grow off of coffee and cardboard. So. Me too, me too. <laughs> but, you know, for kids or for people that, you know, you want to be super, super clean with, um, might be a little bit more cautious with. The bleached paper, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure what that whole process looks like. Definitely, there's a lot of chemicals involved. Um you know, fungi are incredible because a lot of them, especially like the oysters, they can break down a lot of a lot of nasty chemicals and theoretically, you know, break them down to more or less non-toxic byproducts. And even what, even if they do produce, sometimes they can produce actually a, a byproduct uh, that is still somewhat toxic. But they're really smart and self-protecting, where they they might produce that in sort of their environment, but they won't suck it up into their tissue. They only uptake, you know, nutrients and things that they like. So theoretically, you know, even if the mushroom was breaking down a chemical, you could eat the mushroom. But again, if there's any risk of heavy metals, you definitely wouldn't want to. And even then, um, there is some, I think there are some scattered reports of mushrooms uptaking. Uh, actually, I have read those scattered mushrooms uptaking actually chemicals and some toxic compounds. So in an ideal world, they would break down all of our waste and we could eat it and it would be a pretty closed loop. But it's not quite as clear cut as that. Yeah. Well, we might have to uh, just till it all back into soil, but I think, it, I mean, have you run the numbers on how fast it is? Because if you've got the right strain and in the right environmental conditions, I think you could actually, instead of composting all that paper and finding an accelerant, nitrogen and all that stuff to, you know what I mean, to get it to really compost and then moving it and getting it, you know, if you just mix in wood shavings or grain that's inoculated and get it wet and just keep it in the right environment it'll be inoculated and then you could just mash it up and turn it into soil right? I mean yeah no I definitely agree I haven't read the numbers on the you know on certain comparisons but I mean that is what fungi you know that's one of their great the incredible abilities that are pretty much unparalleled in the rest of the the natural world is their ability to 
break down almost anything into to nutrients into new soil and to other things that uh, other products that other organisms insects and microbes can eat um, is that so because it travels on a cellular level is that because it travels on a cellular level where the fungi actually can pair with cells uh, like it touches cell walls and it can like pair with plants well the, the way that they do it is they um, they eat sort of the opposite way that we eat, or sort of similar to like how a, a fly eats where they spit out digestive juices and enzymes and they digest their food externally and they sort of liquefy it if you will and then they suck up and absorb the, the nutrients that they want and they exclude the rest. I was sort of saying that earlier where they, they're really smart in that way. And so their ability to digest things has basically evolved over the billions of years to break down almost anything. Some species are more robust than others. Some can only, they have certain niches, you know, some, things, some species only digest certain foods and, and that's how they've evolved. But as a whole, fungi can, can break down almost anything, right? Um, and so, so they do that it is at a cellular level because every single um, tip in the mycelial network, uh, you know, the, my the mycelium is the roots of the mushroom and it, it branches out at the edges and it's constantly branching and branching and, and spreading. And each one of those branches is a single thread of tissue, a single cell thread. And at the tips of those threads, um, you know, there's just infinite, I can't even count how many in a single mycelial network, big or small. Um, there's there all all these tips are exuding these digestive enzymes and also antibiotics and antivirals and things to defend the fungus, uh, but also things to digest its food and kind of as a cultivator, you know one of the miraculous insights that's really been gleaned over just a few last few years as more and more uh, cultivators have shared their knowledge with each other and we've all turned each other's light bulbs on. We come to realize that, like I was saying earlier, you know a given fungus even if it's not normally adapted or normally found growing on a certain food source you know being simplistic about it you, you can pretty much put some sort of new food in its way and if it doesn't have anything else to eat it'll eventually figure out how to eat that thing um, which is incredible for you know chemical remediation but also just for the closing loops in general and providing food and medicine off of almost any urban or agricultural waste stream um, I mean, that's what fungi do in nature, and as a cultivator, we can, we can work with those skills and learn to sort of guide them and harness them, um, you know, in a way that, that's mutually beneficial. So when, when do you think you're going to get hired at a municipal level to do uh, what you do and consult on how to deal with industrial waste? Because at some point, we need that to start happening or we need to turn those things off and I don't think we're going to turn them off first because of consumption rates and the fact that people need to turn their consumption off. Definitely. Well, I, you know, I would like to do it sooner than later, hopefully, you know, once my book's out and what have you, but you know, I also, the, the way I lay it out in the book, you know, the, um, I'm pretty much trying to give out as much as I know about fungi and trying to make it as accessible to, to everybody that reads the book so that they can be up to snuff, you know, um, with me and uh, the small number of people that I've met along the way who, who know and have studied this as long as, long as you know, as I have or, or thereabouts. Um, and to have a deep understanding that it's so hard to get 
without the you know intentional self-study and I want to bypass that for everybody and just say here I'm gonna sum up 15 years of research for you so that we can all be on the same page and we can all advance this study forward and bring it to our municipalities bring it to our communities figure out how to adapt these skills to our local needs because there's a million ways that that the fungi can be integrated into our lifestyles it's just it's just one of these things where um, people aren't currently thinking about it because they don't they don't it's not on the radar they don't they just don't know about it they don't know about the potentials and it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know until you until you know that you don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, speaking of what you were getting at, that's not an unfounded idea. Uh, a good friend of mine, James Weiser, brilliant self-taught mycologist, um, lives in Denver, Colorado, and he's been working um, for the last few years trying to get a mountain town called Nederland to, to basically turn a lot of their paper waste into mushrooms because they have to transport all their waste out of the mountains. It's like a big investment to just to move their trash. So he's trying to cut that and also set a bit of a precedent. Um, and, you know, I haven't talked to him about it in a little while, so I'm not really sure where it's at. But other people have been trying that. I know in Telluride, Colorado, where the Telluride Mushroom Festival happens, about to come up in just a few weeks. Uh, Chad Carter and some other people invested in that festival have been trying to work with the municipality uh, to set up something. And I think this year, last year we were talking about it um, and trying to formulate ideas about how it could proceed. And I think this year is going to try to move forward a little bit more and try to get mushrooms growing on some of the city's waste. So, you know, small baby steps, but I think just like with, just like how the, the, the fungi grow, how the mycelium grows, it's all exponential. And I've seen that in the last five years uh, personally where, you know, I got into it a long time ago and um, didn't really know anybody for a good while. And in just the last few years, it's just been an explosion in, in awareness and people want to learn it. They really, really want to learn it. It's just still so hard and accessible. Um, and that's why we do the work that we do with radical mycology. And for me, you know, a really big part about... Um, I think what's really drew me to mycology years ago and um, one of the deepest connections I first made and that still rings true and, and something that's really just kept coming up in writing this book is one of the things that really draws me to fungi, um, you know, there's so many and we've talked a little bit about the ecological stuff and that's that's huge but what's fascinating to me is their, their, the cultural implications and we've sort of already talked about that but I don't, I don't mean just dealing with our waste, it's also you know, a big thing we talk about is how, what can we learn from the fungi? How can we, we reflect on the intelligence of nature, the intelligence of fungi, and actually, um, you know, embrace that and actually just run with that for a little bit and give it, give it a chance to speak. And I think that there's a lot to that. And actually, um, you know, if you look into the history of the world and of a lot of cultures, the fungi have been incredibly central to so many aspects of our lives and, um, you know, medicine and food and... Um, you know, spiritual practices and all these things, they've been a central, central role in, but I don't think a lot of people have really, you know, you read a book here or there kind of pointing out these bits and pieces, but for me, writing this book, it's about bringing it all together, sort of seeing it as a whole, seeing the mycelium for the hyphae, um, and appreciating uh, those cultural implications and learning from the past and, you know, appreciating that, but then also seeing, okay, now how can we advance to the future? I think for a lot of people, it's sort of, uh, you hear about mushrooms and you think it's sort of a new thing. And when actually they have been a really big part of our culture, uh, human culture for, for thousands, thousands of years, pretty much the first civilizations revered, you know, fermented foods created by yeast. They were a gift from the gods, things like this. 
Um, but it's really only in just the last few decades um, that our science, the science of, of fungi has become refined enough that we have a language and sort of a framework to, to think about it, and, but also in a, in a reductionist way, you know, that sometimes isolates it from the whole. And so a big part of what we try to do is not just focus on what's this one single application that's sort of a silver bullet for the moment to try to make us, you know, uh, you know, think that there's this incredible opportunity with fungi in just this one way when actually all, all everything that they do is incredible. All the, all the interactions and intersections I think are remarkable and I don't really like to limit, you know, my focus or the way I even talk about fungi on just one particular highlight or one ooh and ah moment. I think it's all incredible. Even the small stuff, you know, I think it's, you know, appreciating nature is, is for the grand and the large, or excuse me, the grand and the small, the macro and the micro, and the fungi, you know, embody all those worlds. Totally. To go really grand, though, and to go back to what Paul said that day at, at Permaculture Voices, he, he, he talks about how he thinks that mycelium in of itself is intelligent. And um, he also believes that the earth is intelligent. And I totally feel that. I don't know if I can prove that. I would love to see it proven. Um, and then we talked that day, maybe after that talk, we talked, you and I, about work being done turning the, the frequencies that, that fun, fungi emit into um, sound. Has there any, any, any more work been done in that? Um, well, uh, with the sound amplification thing, you know, I've only read a few studies about that, and it's really interesting, something I'd like to play with. Um, you know, I recently just saw a really interesting video on Noisy, which is uh, sort of the music thread of Vice, um, and they had this woman on there who hooks up like EKG machines and EEGs to sound amplifiers to plants, and so you like touch a plant, and it'll produce a different sound. Hey, let's, I, mean, I gotta get a hold of her. Let's do this with mushrooms. Um, but I don't. I think you know what was interesting about that study was just showing that fungi emit an electrical field. And, you know, everything is, produces electrical field. You can get the book, the, the what is it, The Electric Body. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Um, you know, and that doctor, I believe he's from Japan, just basically breaks it down in, in no, uh, no uncertain terms that the science is pretty clear that we are electrical. Um, you know, if biology is based on chemistry, which is itself based on physics, which pretty much is based on quantum physics, which is essentially energy and electricity, or, or not even electricity, just forms of energy and vibration. And that's, you know, most people don't like to think about it like that, because that kind of sounds a little esoteric, but when you get down to it, that's sort of how, how it all works when you get down to the quantum level. And in this book, The Electric Body, which came out a couple decades ago, you know, she does a lot of interesting stuff, studies with electrical fields and plants and animals and how that affects growth. And, you know, the earth itself produces its own harmonic frequencies and, and our circadian rhythms are linked to those. And, you know, the fungi um, have their own rhythms that are linked to the cycles of the planet um, and the moon and things. And, and I talk about this a lot in the book, uh, breaking it down, actually, and, and provide the citations. It's not just my, my own idea. It's been shown um, in a lot of different ways. So, and the when whole, does that come out? The whole Gaia hypothesis, you know, I think really has... You know, if you're willing to go there, it has proven that the, the Earth is intelligent. It's it's uh, 
develops its own form of homeostasis and it's it's self-preserving and responds to to uh, impacts to it and i think you know i forget the the qualifications that were given by the the people who first proposed the guy hypothesis of what defines intelligence but you know they essentially prove you know in their eyes prove that that the earth is and if you think that we're all connected through the electrical field of the earth which some people are willing to go there and, and i myself am you know uh there's a lot to come of that you know just philosophically but also physically and you know biologically and, and as a mushroom cultivator what what does that mean how can we if we understand the electrical fields that fungi produce which they do they're measurable they fluctuate they change in response to their environment just like plants do and that 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 semi-controversial book the secret life of plants you know what's the secret life of mushrooms it's a probably an electrical one that we're not really paying attention to because we focus so much on the chemicals um in the more physical matter yeah it's funny it's yes, we we worry about intelligent life from other planets when we have intelligent life all around us right and I, and I and I don't think that's a new concept. Uh, I think that's been been iterated over and over by people who uh, people who are considered you know religious or philosophical leaders throughout time and cultures. And so, tell us about when your book. What's the name of your book? When does it come out? How can we get it? I personally, I'm I'm actually not going to do the Amazon route. I, I saw how much money they wanted to take, and I it. it made me die inside and so I'm not going to do that how are you going to release your book uh, little business insights yeah they're cutthroat it's crazy um, uh, it's so it's, if people have been listening at all or have been paying attention um, to this book I've been working on it for quite a long time and and I recently just so it was funded by an Indiegogo campaign so I have to give a big shout out to my funders Woo. you might be able to appreciate that you know it's Without them, um, those 300 people, I, I wouldn't. This book wouldn't have happened, and and it's sort of out of uh, respect to them. Um, as things have developed, it's sort of getting pushed back, and that just happens. As they tell me, when you write a book, it always takes longer than you expect. Um, but I'm really glad that it's worked out how it has. Everybody's been really patient, and um, because it's going to be so much more than I originally planned, you know, a year and a half ago when I started working on it. Um, as I've learned more and as I've researched and as I've just thought about it pretty much every day since. So, the book is finally uh, winding down and um, I'm getting ready to start I'm working on the cover design and uh, hopefully once that's zipped up, start really promoting it and getting the word out and pre-orders and such. But looking to probably set the release date uh, mid-November. Um, I was going to do a little bit earlier, but I just want to have as much cushion and, and safety net and make sure everything's zipped up. So. It's tricky with self-publishing. Um, you know, this book is going to be really unlike any other book on fungi, and hopefully, it'll you know shake things up a little bit. And I think that's how it needs to go because mycology has been sort of doing the same thing for a hundred years. And um, with the explosion of the internet and just the information that's available, not just on fungi but on everything, you know, uh, for me, it's been so easy to access so many topics that people just 15 years ago wouldn't have been able to study as easily. And and as I've learned more, seeing how fungi relate to all these things, you know, the book has just become that much better. But so it's going to be, um, yeah, coming out mid-November. It's hopefully it's going to be somewhere. It's going to be probably full size, uh, 
eight and a half by 11, probably around 600 pages. So it'd be pretty, pretty hefty. Um, but it's going to cover, uh, essentially the, the biology, the ecology, um, the cultural and historical influences of fungi since, you know, the beginning of the earth, like I was talking about and up till today, um, all the different ways to make some of the most potent and also some of the most basic, but also still potent, um, medicinal extracts, ways to cook with fungi and, um, fermenting fungi and, uh, how to just appreciate their their food uh, and the quality of their food and the health and nutrition of their food is quite quite remarkable when you just look at those facts. Um, and then sort of switching gears and also some some other skills like using mush, uh, working with mushrooms as fire starters and dyes and paper making wow. materials. And then uh, and then that's sort of the first half of the book. So it's sort of a that's sort of a cultural perspective in a lot of ways. Some of that's summed up with contemporary skills of making medicine, but a lot of the stuff is really about summing up the history of fungi in many ways um, and really reflecting on that. And then the second half of the book is a bit more contemporary, if you will, where it's, uh, you know, nitty-gritty, everything about cultivation is pretty much, there's a whole huge chapter on cultivation, huge chapter on uh, mushrooms and permaculture, huge chapter on remediation, and those three chapters together, um, you know, they're about a, over 100,000 words. It's kind of like a little magnum opus on my part. It was... Um, took a long time but is wow. i think i appreciate everything down that i could ever say about those topics and um and then sort of at the end of the book sort of summing all that up and we sort of learned a lot about fungi we can think about them we can see them in nature now uh there's a chapter on just more metaphoric and all these connections and ways of thinking about fungi more abstractly and how it applies to human cultures today and in our future and just how can we integrate these lessons into our thinking and in our cultural design and then the last chapter, um, you know, goes a little bit more esoteric and out there, if you will, but maybe not, um, talking about the psychoactive fungi and just how deep that, that, that interaction has been, an intersection has been with human cultures historically um, and contemporarily, but also, you know, framing it in a way where these mushrooms have been looked at in many, many different ways, both good and bad by cultures all around the world. And for people that are interested in them today, I think it's, it's well worth uh, reflecting all those different opinions and really finding a, a robust means to addressing, you know, that sort of controversial topic. And then, uh, then the book winds down. There's a lot of appendices and a lot of um, charts and, and there's some games in there and the whole, whole lot of stuff. Okay, so backtrack. So first, I, want, I think we all want to know how we can pre-order it if we miss the Indiegogo. And then we all want to know um, about, about, I mean, does uh, psychoactive mushrooms, uh, are, are, what are they used for in medicine? What do they actually fix? I mean, do you, are you saying that you feel that this is, this is something that's medicinal? I've heard, I mean, we've seen the memes on Facebook and everything, but no one knows what those things are, if they're real, you know. Sure. Well, to answer your first question, um, I haven't set up the pre-orders yet, and I'm gonna, you know, I gotta dial that all in. Um, but it'll be coming out in the next few weeks um, once I get the cover done, like I said. So people can go to radicalmycology.com, and as you know, stay up. You can follow the blog there. Um, we're on social media, you know, whatever it is, forward slash radmycology. Do you have um, a mailing so, list? What's that? Do you have a mailing list? 
Yeah, and then it's on the website. It's a little bit hard to find, um, but if you go to the About Us, um, there's a email list sign-up spot, so you can get on that as well. Nice. And then I guess on the social media and stuff. So that's how we'll announce the the uh, one of the ways we'll announce the pre-orders. And and as far as this, yeah, the psychoactive mushrooms, the medicinal constituent part. You know, I. What I can say about that and what I say in the book is that in the last roughly 10 years or so, there's been a small number of studies that have shown that um, psilocybin, the, the, one, of the, one of the active compounds in certain psychoactive mushrooms, um, there's other types of psychoactive mushrooms that do not have psilocybin. They, don't, they have completely different compounds and they actually have a completely different effect on the user. And those other mushrooms, those are like the red and white Amanita, really famous mushrooms those are the ones that actually have a really rich and quite fascinating uh, historical record um, throughout the world. But, you know, in the last 100 years, last 50 years or so, the emphasis has been much more on the, this whole other category of psilocybin-producing mushrooms, which have a very different effect um, and weren't nearly as revered or really that, that focused on historically. But um, those mushrooms, the psilocybin mushrooms, you know, there's been some interesting studies where uh, you know, one of the most interesting things I think that's beneficial as far as medicine goes is that they've been shown even in small microdoses, you know, doses where you barely even feel anything, they can help people who suffer from uh, what are called cluster headaches. They're kind of like the worst migraine you've ever had, and they, you know, some people have been known to kill themselves over them. They're so they're so horrible. Microdoses of this this compound will basically stop those headaches happening for for months at a time, and so. This whole, there's whole forums, there's, I think it's clusterbusters.com is a forum dedicated basically to this, where it's a lot of people who would never do an illegal activity in their life, you know, this is the one time they break the law because it's the only cure for this otherwise incurable malady. Um, that sounds like so ambient. That sounds like ambient. I had a roommate in college who took ambient and if he didn't go to bed or if he took too much, he would, he would hallucinate. Um... But if he took just the right amount, it put him to sleep, and he, you know, he had the desired effect. Uh, obviously, that's not natural or anything, but um, that's something relatable. Um, that if you took too much of it, you would hallucinate. But if you took a little bit, it would give you a psychoactive effect. And I think probably people have taken, you know, um, drugs like over-the-counter pills from a doctor. Most of them, you know, if you took a, hu a huge dose, you would have either a trip or a trip to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and this, this gets into another whole other point about the, that I make in the book is that uh, there's, there's been more and more studies in just the last few years, pretty recently, that there are fungi that live inside of the tissue of plants. Fungi that live inside of plants, they're called endophytic fungi. They produce, uh, they've been shown to... They live inside of all plants, and there's unknown numbers of them. Uh, a given plant could host dozens or hundreds of different species. They're kind of like it's like a whole ecosystem inside of one plant of just fungi. And they've extracted, you know, individual fungi out of a plant, and have been able to correlate the medicinal property that they thought was the plant was actually being produced by this fungus. And so, what's one of the points I make in the book is that perhaps a lot of the medicinal properties we've given to plants for all of human existence has actually been, should be attributed to the fungi that live inside of these plants. Wow. And I think that that's a pretty fair statement, you know, there's a little bit of science today to back that up, and I think as the years progress, there'll be more and more and more to really substantiate that. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean that goes so that, and of course, all of our you know seventy five percent or something of our pharmaceuticals are derived from plants or, or inspired by nature, as you, if some people call it. You know, and in my mind, uh, probably a lot of that you know is coming from the fungi that live inside those plants or, or other um, you know nature inspired sources. So where our medicine is and what the foundations and roots of our medicine is and, and the huge part of our culture, you know, I think that really needs to be revisited in that, in that light. It's actually uh, something I've actually just been writing about um, is that whole concept. So, yeah, I don't know. Going back to Ambien, I've never, you know, I've, I've actually, I should look up the chemical structure. I wonder if it's similar to psilocybin or something. But, um, you know, I think those, those mushrooms are... They have, they've been shown to have somewhat of a medicinal effect, especially on the body, like I just described. Uh, there's been pilot studies, small pilot studies, showing interesting effects in psychological disorders, although um, it's not super conclusive. Um, but, you know, for me... It's subjective, right? What's that? It's subjective. A little bit subjective. Yeah, well, then, they're just small, small numbers of people, so it's kind of like you can't, you know, technically it's not statistically significant enough to draw a conclusion. Um... But, you know, for me, what's, what's interesting is kind of just to clarify that topic, or uh, that point I was making is that while they are, uh, uh, I don't know if you can hear that this one, sorry, there's a train going by. It's okay. Um, what I find really fascinating, or a point that I try to make in the book, is that in, in a lot of the reading that I've done, the, these mushrooms have been sort of just... Uh, rubber stamped by a lot of people just be like they're 100% good and you know there's there's more and more evidence to support that and what's interesting to me is that when you look at the cultural record like I said there's a lot of mixed opinions and, and I personally know people who've had really bad experiences um, taking those and so I think there, there's, there needs to be a bit more caution and a bit more of a well-rounded sort of approach to addressing these things and I'm you know I, I can go one way or the other and um you know, I don't really like to necessarily tell people what to think, but what I try to do in the book is present all the evidence and, and hopefully people draw their own conclusions that are, um, you know, based on a fair amount of evidence. So I think that'll be actually an engaging um, chapter. I'm pretty excited to share that with the world, and along with the whole book. I mean, it's going to be amazing. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for coming on and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge of, of fungi. And I, I really appreciate your point of view and your way of communicating because it communicates and disambiguates and demystifies, does all these wonderful things that uh, people like like me and, and plenty of people out there just, we have uncertainty. And it's people like you that help us navigate these newer these newer avenues. Because I speak for many when I say we want to know how to have fungi in our lives, have fungi in our diet, have fungi in our landscape permanently. And we want, we want all the medicinal advantages. I know that. <laughs> Definitely. And yeah, there, it's one of the things, that, you know, I've been just finalizing the medicinal chapter and it's one of the things I'm you know, it's hard to say what's most important or something to me, but I think one of the most important by far is spreading, and what I feel I feel happy about, is spreading the, the knowledge of how to cultivate medicinal mushroom uh, medicines and make the highest quality products and to grow it for basically ne next to nothing, but to essentially get, you know, the, 
almost maximum quality that is comparable to essentially all the products in the store, the vast majority of them. And, um, you know, it's just been really one of the biggest holdups, I think, in making my the, the medicine of mycology accessible is the cost. And um, in largely that's just been because of a limited number of people knowing how to make this stuff. And, and I'm really happy to share that with the world. And I also want to let the audience, the, yeah, the listeners know that, um, you know, a lot of our stuff, we, we try to make uh, our website is sort of open source mycology in a sense. And it's been a little bit dead in the water uh, as I've been working on the book. But once the book comes out, you know, down the pipe later this year and early next year, a lot of the stuff in the book is going to get put onto the website, various forms, and to make it open source and accessible. And especially some of the most pertinent and, um, you know, things that are really going to make a difference, like the medicines and things like that. But that's coming down, down the road once the book's done. That's so amazing that you're giving that away for free, because you, I mean, you have that understanding and you understand how, I mean, people have such limited resources these days. I talk to people every day about uh, where they're at and especially online, people are really open about it more and more now because I think people are realizing that we're all in the same boat, we're kind of all close to the edge. And everyone's jobs are just keeping us, you know, trailing along. And everyone's health is is also in that same sort of state where we're like sustaining instead of um, being resilient. And one of those for us, one of those missing pieces was was having mushrooms uh, regularly in our diet. And after you know meeting you and uh, listening to Paul speak, uh, it kind of really sunk in and. We've been having mushrooms regularly and taking medicinal mushrooms regularly since. And it's definitely, it, the, especially uh, things like cordyceps for energy, which was surprising because that means it doesn't stimulate the thyroid if it gives my wife energy. Um, so it somehow bypasses that, which is fascinating. Um, because cordyceps feeds, cordyceps is a parasitic um, fungi, right? Well... That's an interesting, this gets into a whole other, <laughs> I know we're, we're winding down, but no, they, they might not be. It, you know, this is how backwards some of our, our, historically the approach to fungi has been. A lot of the research over the 100 years has been focusing on the quote-unquote parasites and the pathogens and things like that. And of course they do exist, fungi are sort of the checks and balances of nature in a lot of ways, but... One of the things they do as a part of that checking and balancing is they fill niches and where there's monocultures and where there's uh, weakened um, holes in the health of an ecosystem, they, they basically consume that and they get rid of the disease in the long run. They're really helping out the ecosystem in the long run. But with the insects, what's really interesting is that people at, jo- at, ha, excuse me, at Aloha Medicinal, specifically John Holiday, who's one of, their, one of the founders of that company, um, they've done a lot of research with cordyceps, and while for you know most of mycological history these fungi were thought to in- infect insects, take over their brain, and you know scale, uh, mummify them with mycelium and pop a mushroom out their head, whereas actually John thinks, based on a lot of their research, that it's actually a, a symbiotic microbe. It's a symbiotic yeast that lives in the body of the, the insect. Um, or some sort of microfungus, and it transports oxygen similar to our red blood cells. And it actually helps keep the insect alive. And it's only when the insect gets diseased or weakened or something like that that it turns into the mycelium and takes over, which is essentially what candida does. 
we have wow. candida in our body as a yeast all the time. It's when we eat an unhealthy diet and we get out of balance that it turns into a filamentous mycelium form and then it evades our body and causes problems. They've been specifically studied and have been shown to kill candida. Um, right. Produce- Paul has a book about this. And, and that's where I had read, read about it, killing candida. And specifically, I think it's shiitake and maybe oyster mushroom. Uh, yeah, but it's specifically shiitake, I think, that works on it. Uh, I, yeah, and I think that, if I'm thinking of the same book, it was written maybe 20 years ago or something, quite a long time ago. A little pamphlet. Yeah, and I mean, the research is, you know, so much more advanced today. And I think I recently read a, a more up-to-date, more recent book discussing that topic, and they listed, I forget the species, but, you know, it's probably at least a dozen. Um, so it's it's well known. So that's a common misconception that you can't eat mushrooms, especially if it's like a medicinal mushroom extract. Uh, not a problem. So are you, are you going to be able to do a book tour at some point this winter? Well, you know, I was hoping to have the book done a little bit um, earlier, but uh, things have unfolded as they have. And like I said, it's hopefully going to be coming out. It's definitely going to be coming out this November. Um, but what I'm doing in the interim is I am about to leave on a tour this fall around the country. And I'm teaching um, some cultivation courses. I'm speaking at a few uh, events. Um, so people could check that out on radicalmycology.com. But I'll be doing, uh, I do two and a half day and two-and-a-half-day slash three-day cultivation courses, kind of covering a lot of the core skills we were talking about, definitely really hitting hard on the cultivation and also teaching uh, the medicinal uh, preparations and the permaculture applications and some of the remediation concepts. It's a pretty in-depth course, and I'm doing those in Minneapolis, um, Philadelphia, Asheville, uh, Santa Fe, Oklahoma City, Oakland, and Los Angeles over the next few months. So folks are in those areas, I can check out the website and see how to sign up there. Um, and also be at a few different events, Telluride Mushroom Festival, um, the North American Mycological Association Annual 4A, uh, Brighton Bush Herbal Conference, and the Brownfields National Conference. Um, so I'll be around, and so I'll have, I'll have sample chapters of the book. Um, you know, you can come talk to me in person about it. I'm happy to, you know, chat for hours about this topic. Um, and also you can pre-order directly from me that way and kind of cut out some middleman. Um, but I'll also see the ch- uh, uh, chapter samples and some sketches and stuff of the art that's going to be in there. Um, sweet. Yeah. So I will be there then. Sounds good. All right. Maybe I'll try to convince you to come up and see my school. Sounds awesome. Love <laughs> that. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Matt. It's good talking to you. Good talking to you. All right, that was awesome. Peter McCoy, you have so much information. Thank you for clarifying so much. Thanks for being so open. And that that just is like an intro to, you know, the vastness of what mycology is and could be. So tune in, get his book, and check out what Radical Mycology and Peter McCoy are doing from Permaculture Tonight. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.